The topic for today is Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star. You know, from the well-known lullaby that's based on a poem from the 1800s, I, I didn't know that there were other verses. There are a whole bunch of other verses, and, I, and one of them that I particularly enjoy says this. Then the traveler in the dark thanks you for your tiny spark. They could not see which way to go if you did not twinkle so. Isn't that so sweet? But there's a lot to it. There is a light in you, and if you don't twinkle it, people are not going to know how to make it. It's all on you. It's all on us together. The, you know, I sometimes stand here on the stage, and I feel this radiated um, loving kindness, and I feel it radiating back, and it's like I can see it in you. And I can see that by the end of the service, it has expanded. Well, maybe I'm seeing more of what was already there, and I love that. And I like that verse about they could not see which way to go if you did not twinkle so, because it reminds me of that ability we have, the capacity we have to help each other make it through difficult times by just shining what little bit of light we can muster up. And whether that is just through a, a kind word or being a good example of courage or dignity under stress or um, a helping hand or a random act of kindness or a thought or a word or a prayer, we can help each other. So I'm going to hold on to that line. If you did not twinkle so, they could not know which way to go. So many times in my life, my journey has been made easier by a simple act of loving kindness by somebody else, sometimes a stranger. In just two weeks' time, thousands of cyclists and support volunteers will set off at 6 a.m., just when the light is coming up and you can no longer see the twinkling stars, they'll set off from the Cow Palace in San Francisco in the cold to complete a seven-day, 545-mile ride that ends up this year on a beach in Santa Monica in the Los Angeles area. Oh, it's a difficult ride. I know. I've done it several times as a member of our Center for Spiritual Living Santa Rosa AIDS Life Cycle team. And I was remembering yesterday all of the support along the way, all of the encouragement. And I was particularly thinking about the people who go out along the route and they stand along the side of the road to shout encouragement. And some of them hold up signs of their sons, their daughters, their mothers, their fathers, their aunts, their cousins, who have been lost to the AIDS epidemic, you know, shouting, thank you. The people on the right call it the love bubble, the whole experience, because there's such a tremendous exchange of light and loving kindness all along the way. And even though we cycle in the broad daylight, all of the support and all of that loving kindness on the side of the road, it felt to me as 
nourishing and as encouraging as it might have been to that traveler in the dark who saw the twinkling star, it made all the difference to me in being able to keep pedaling. <sighs> One year when I went on the ride, I posted on social media that I was riding and I asked if in our community there was anybody who had a family member or a friend who had been lost in the AIDS epidemic or who was living with HIV that they would like me to take with them in my ride. You know, I thought I'd get a few names to remember. Oh my gosh. The outpouring people, and then it spread beyond our community. People from all over the nation started sending me names. And so I, I typed them all out, and I, I printed out this long list of names, you know, from, from our community and beyond. And I, I folded it up, and I, I put it in my little pack that I took with me. And then every time I got tired, and it was many times, I would stop and I would take the little, by then grubby, sweat-covered, dust-covered list, and I would open it up when I just couldn't imagine peddling another mile. And I would read it, and I could feel the light from all the people who sent the names in, you know? And it kept me going just to look at it, the, that little twinkle became a bright light of guidance in my soul. And then one morning, I, I woke up on the ride, oh, to so many aches and pains like I could never imagine. Uh, you know, I, that was painful in places I didn't know existed. You know, and um, the sound of the porta parties, doors slamming, just so irritating. And then the rustling of the tense and cheerful voices making me mad. And the damp, cold, muddy grass. And I knew I did not want to go on. No. Now, I had read Donald Altman's book, The Mindfulness Code, before. And he suggests a practice that I had done often. It's a, this practice in which you can redirect, you know, you and I, we can redirect our attention doing this very specific thing by taking note of something that we have in our life, in our immediate environment that we appreciate. And by doing so, we learn to increase that appreciation and the light grows more and we learn to appreciate the ordinary things that are in our life to help make it all worthwhile. Let me give you the exercise because you might enjoy it. He says, first turn your attention to what you have in your life right now from the very moment that you wake up in the morning. Appreciate the breath, the blanket that warms you, the shower that refreshes and cleanses you. And even the alarm clock that wakes you up. Next, find a reminder of ordinary goodness that you can carry with you throughout the day, such as a picture of a loved one or a stone or some other object that has meaning from a memorable trip, for example, or an inspirational quote. And then finally, share your appreciation of ordinary goodness with others. And I, I had done that exercise many times before and loved it for what it did in me. But that morning, in the tent, I wanted nothing to do with that exercise. 
<laughs> I was not in the mood to find something to carry through the day, the day as my guiding light. I had too many good reasons to be grumpy. Legitimate, painful reasons. So my attention was most certainly not on appreciation or gratitude. I didn't have any warm blanket that Donald Altman suggested. And most certainly those mobile vans with the showers was not appetizing to think about. Can you get the feeling? I was focused on something else. I needed more sleep. I needed coffee. I needed a break. And I didn't want to be with people. And I could care less about the people I was raising funds for. Do you know, have you ever been in that mindset? And then I found something on my bike saddle that changed everything. An egg. A plastic egg. Like the one Easter egg time, you know. So let me give you the backstory. One long-time rider fondly earned the name of Chicken Lady and noticed the suffering of discouraged cyclists like me and in response created this tradition of leaving a plastic egg in the middle of the night strapped to the saddle of bikes with inside the egg a note of encouragement. Now, the egg on my back had such a note on it, in it, and I opened it up, and it said something like, may I remind you of the heroic nature of riding to help fund another person's well-being? Oh, well, now, I don't remember the words exactly, but I sure remember the feeling in that moment. That egg's message changed everything. In one moment, my attention was picked up and redirected away from my trouble back to the mission. I felt my energy shift. It was like as I opened the egg, a little light twinkled inside and it met something inside my own heart. It touched my emotional center in that egg was the reminders of ordinary goodness that Donald Altman was inviting me to find to start my day. I found it. I found it in a note from a stranger and a plastic egg. And I carried it with me. And my day changed. I started to notice how there around me were other cyclists that were struggling. They were just as grumpy. And I started smiling, and we started sharing our, well, shared experience of the sheer magnitude of that much suffering. <laughs> and, I, and I started to feel better. And, and that is the special quality of a twinkling light in the dark. It's called the multiplying effect or the law of increase. And what it means is that when I share my light or when you share your light, it grows and it multiplies in its reach and its effect. When it's used, it grows. It doesn't get less. It becomes more. That is the way of things. When we help each other, 
the energy that we use to help, to support each other, it grows and it produces much more light than what we initially invest in it. That is the way of things. It multiplies. And the most important thing for me to remember is that I didn't create that spark of light. And neither do you. It's also important for me to remember that I don't need any special education or spiritual practice or learning to be able to use the light that is inside of me. And neither do you. It's there. It's ours to use and express. And when we do, stuff happens. I remember in a class we were training, you saw uh, Venus Maher doing a, a treatment. Venus is a prayer practitioner, and we were training prayer practitioners to counsel, to spiritual guidance, coaching for people on a professional basis. And we were getting ready for the, the exam time. Does anybody have test anxiety? You know, then, so as we were getting closer, they started to panic. But do I know enough? Will I get the right answer in the exam? Will I know how to respond to somebody who's having a deep problem? If my client was Edward who was grumpy at the right, what would I say to him? And it started to escalate out of control. And I said to everybody, stop for a moment. Let's just take a moment to breathe. And everybody, I invited them in the room. And you can do the same. I said, remember a time when somebody did something for you that communicated loving-kindness. And they all sat and thought about it. And some of them told teary-eyed stories about ordinary acts of kindness, small gestures that meant so much, that conveyed so much compassion. And some told stories about huge efforts that went beyond the ordinary call of duty. And every student in the class either had such a story of loving kindness or could identify with the story told by another student. And then I asked them, did the giver of that loving kindness have any special professional skill? Any learning that made it possible for them to do that? What was it, I said to them, that made that gift so meaningful? And there was not one person in the group said, it was so professional. It was so efficient. It was so well studied. No. They all remembered the feeling that they had, and they came up with words like sincerity, authenticity. They said it was as if they were responding to some instinct to care. Yes. Exactly. And I pointed out to everybody in the class, hoping that I would remember it myself, that we all have the same instinct to care. And that our goodness requires no special diploma or training. It might be clumsy, it might be unskilled, but when it is expressed, it tends to grow. And it leads to connectivity and compassion. And that is something the world, dare I say, needs more of. 
I think about it often and invite you to think about a time when you did something loving for someone or when someone did something loving for you. At the height of the AIDS, AIDS epidemic, I was living in Southern California and I was in school and I also trained to be a volunteer with an organization that offered emotional support for people who had life-threatening terminal diseases. And they would pair the volunteers up with clients to be a compassionate presence for them. So I did my training, and I got all my skill, I thought. And they parted, partnered me with this vibrant, opinionated, boisterous man whose HIV diagnosis threw his life into, well, utter darkness and chaos. And I'm pretty introverted when I'm meeting people for the first time, and he was not. And so I sat down with him at our very first meeting, meeting him for the very first time, and he erupted with everything, all of his concern and his fear, and it just came out like a volcano. And I was in my late 20s, and I sat there quietly, taking it all in, not because it was a skill I had learned, but because it was my very first assignment, and I was terrified. I just sat there. Later in the parking lot, I was trying to figure out how to resign. He contacted my supervisor and reported that my listening skills <laughs> made him feel seen and heard and understood It turns out I just needed to be there, to be there and to listen like a twinkling light in the dark so that he could find his own way. Oh, how many times my own self I, the ex expanded idea of wisdom gets in the way. I never forgot that experience, and it impacted the way I sat with people who came to me when I finally graduated as a practitioner and then a minister. It impacted the way I sat with them. I tried to get my learning out of the way so my instinct to shine could come forward. And I would often say to people, and I train others to do this now, when somebody's sitting with me, I will say, start at the beginning, take as long as you like, Don't leave out any details and tell me everything. And often, people will do this. Because <sighs> in their mind or in their experience, there has been no place for them to be heard or seen. You might try that with somebody who's having a rough time. Let your listening presence be your twinkling light so they can find which way to go as they navigate the darkness. You might be surprised. You know, this topic, twinkle, twinkle, little star, it reminds me also of a, a, another little light song 
perhaps you know which one I mean. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. I learned the background of the song that it was adopted by civil rights activists as a song of resistance and community encouragement to stay strong and unified despite the significant challenges and setbacks that faced that movement. And now that I know that about the song, Every time I hear it or sing it, when I hear it, I think about that encouragement that it was imparting to keep shining, though the world may seem to be in darkness. To keep shining and to keep advocating, though the people of the global majority continue to suffer discrimination and harmful cultural stereotyping, to not give up. To keep on giving what you can and to keep on caring as you can and to keep on learning to expand your consciousness. That's what I tell myself every time I hear the song. So I don't think about it as a happy peppy song anymore. I think about it as a song of deep significance and caring. Like Bayard Rustin cared. Did you know who he is? Do you know who he is? An openly gay African-American civil rights leader who in 1941 marched on Washington to press for an end to racial discrimination in employment. And he organized Freedom Rights too to raise awareness that although racial discrimination had ended, it hadn't ended. Not even some 78 years later. So Bayard Rustin helped organize uh, the Southern Christian Leadership Council to support Dr. Martin Luther King. And it was he, Bayard Rustin, who introduced Dr. Martin Luther King to the teaching of Mahatma Gandhi and the Nonviolent Resistance and Civil Act, Disobedience Acts. Yeah. And he didn't give up. He didn't give up when the world didn't catch up with his vision of what I would call a spiritual self-evident truth. He carried on. And, of course, I'm a fan of his because later on he stood up for equality for the LGBTQI plus community too. Advocated at a time where it was dangerous to do so. He was declaring something from his light inside, something that I would call a self-evident spiritual truth that we are one and equal and united, even though the world didn't catch up. And here's a little trivia. He was targeted and criticized over his sexuality and politicians threatened to tell the press that he and Dr. King were gay lovers to stop him. And so that's why he often acted from behind the scenes. He shone from behind the scenes because even though he was threatened, he couldn't and he wouldn't give up. There's a thank you in my heart for Bayard Rustin for being a light in the darkness and for having a vision and sticking with it until more of it became a reality. And it's a reminder for me let my light shine means may I stand and continue to stand for that vision until even more of it is real. Here are a few things that Bayard Rustin said. The proof that one truly believes is in action. He also said, the real radical is that person who has a vision of equality and is willing to do those things that will bring reality closer to that vision. I mention that because here at the Center for Spiritual Living in Santa Rosa, we have a long history of 
acting on our vision, not only by financially supporting our nonprofit partners, but also by rolling up our sleeves and getting involved. For many years, we have had a team of cyclists doing that 455, 445, 450, how many? 545, you are listening, mile ride from San Francisco to Los Angeles. And I want to honor the members through all of those years. Here are the people who have been on the team. Anne Bastion, Christina Rivera, Jeff Basham. John Esquivel, Jose Mesa, Kate Shields, Kevin Craig, Martha Salazar, Megan Kinsler, Micah Price, Michael Johnston, Michelle Bishop, Nancy Reynolds, Peter Lasky, Rebecca Atwater, Shelley Anderson, Tyler Hunsaker, Tyler Kinsler, and then some people on the year before the pandemic who were part of the team raised the funds but couldn't ride, including William Abel, our facility manager, um, Mary Ann Grenieri, one of our past trustees, and Danielle Letourneau. Now, this year's team members are here, and I'm going to invite them to come up on the stage so we can wish them luck on their ongoing v- journey. So please come on up. Jerry Huffaker, who is our team captain, but cannot ride this year because on one of the training rides, he broke his scapula. Come on up. Wayne Stanfield, Lynn Harding, Laura Baker, Tracy Hoyer, and not here today is Matthew Duran, who is part of the training ride leadership and has done the ride 16 times. Now, congratulations to our team. I want to tell you that they have raised $25,000 to support the San Francisco AIDS Foundation and the Los Angeles LGBT Center. Uh, The two organizations who are the beneficiaries of their funds raised and they provide education and resources for people living with or at risk of HIV. Now, the San Francisco AIDS Foundation is very important and interesting to me because it strives to work towards a day when HIV transmission is eliminated. So that means one of their goals is the end of the HIV epidemic, a goal that once seemed utterly impossible, but is within reach today. According to the San Francisco Department of Public Health's epidemiology, that's hard, epidemiology annual report, new HIV diagnosis from 20 2010 to 19 in San Francisco have declined over 50%. In one year, the foundation impacts and serves over 21,000 clients, offers 15,000 HIV tests, and provides services for harm reduction due to substance use and also education, sexual health services and tests, and also provides pre-exposure prophylaxis. That is the daily pill you can take to stop HIV from taking hold. Yeah. And they also provide more than 700 people living with HIV housing subsidies and benefits.
So I share this with you because you, Center for Spiritual Living Santa Rosa, are part of the AIDS life cycle team. We are part of it. Our financial support at our bake sales and also the direct donations we make make it possible for the team to make this journey, the journey that makes a measurable difference in the lives of countless people and keeps us moving forward towards a vision of a world that works just a little bit better for everyone as we rise to our spiritual magnificence. Remember the light within and like Bayard Rustin, don't quit. I also want you to let you know that since we started writing, we have raised in excess of $385,000 for this effort. So thank you to our team and bon voyage. We'll see you when you get back.